Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. We are midweek, and this is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. By email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Send me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. Later this week on Friday, we are going to speak with the great Dr. Peter McCullough. He is a renowned cardiologist. And as many of you know, one of the most outspoken doctors on the mRNA shots and the damage that they cause, particularly with regard to the heart, but other systems of the body as well. And he has been talking about uh, the effects of these shots on everything from creating myocarditis to death. So Dr. Peter McCullough is going to be here on Friday. It's going to be the McCullough-Crowley interview, and it's not to be missed. Today, uh, I want to deal with Davos. Uh, We're also going to talk with my friend Greg Kelly, whom you see every night on Newsmax. He's got a new book out called Justice for All, about the damage of the left in their relentless attacks on law enforcement, Uh, defunding the police, preventing them from doing their jobs, creating a very icy effect on law enforcement, which, of course, is having the logical effect of uh, tremendous spikes in crime all across the country, not just in our big cities, but everywhere. 
So Greg Kelly is going to join us here in a couple of minutes as well. So big, big shows coming up. But first, the Monica Memo. If you were casting a Bond villain, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a more evil one than Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab began the WEF, the World Economic Forum, in 1971 with $6,000. He got a loan for six grand to start this little group where they were going to meet in Switzerland and just talk about the state of the world and how to quote-unquote improve it. Klaus Schwab has a Nazi background, and as the group grew, it became ever more powerful. It became a commercial juggernaut. It became a political, economic, cultural juggernaut to the point where all of the world's worst villains wanted to attend. Ask yourself why. Not just heads of state, but we're talking about the entities and the centers of power where the real global power lies. If you think the real power in America is still in the White House, on Capitol Hill, in the judiciary, you're sorely mistaken. The real power in this country is with the deep state. It's with the shadow regime, and that is also true worldwide. These elected officials are installed. They are not elected. We all vote. Nothing changes. Ask yourself why. Okay, we know why. We know why. And the World Economic Forum is the center locus for all of this, for, for the global regime. They are the central hub for what is happening across the West and really around the world. So the global predators have descended on their central location for their annual jamboree, Davos, Switzerland. They're there this week for their annual meeting known as the World Economic Forum or WEF. This, again, was founded and run by one of the most evil men on the planet, Klaus Schwab, with the Nazi background, and his first lieutenant, Yuval Hariri. Yuval Hariri is, in many ways, worse than Klaus Schwab. If you go and take a look at some of his statements, like on YouTube and and elsewhere, you will find statements of outrageous anti-humanism, outrageous anti-capitalism, statements of transhumanism, changing the very nature of the human being. Yuval Hariri stays in the shadows for the most part, but he is Klaus Schwab's right hand, and he's much, much younger. Schwab is about 84. I think going on 85, Hariri is younger, and that makes him in many ways more dangerous. The global predators are unelected operatives moving the world to a fourth industrial revolution. This is what they call it. These are not my words. A fourth industrial revolution. Also toward, and this is all interrelated, again, it's all of a piece, toward a one world government where no nations have any sovereignty and there are no borders. 
This is what the wide open southern border is all about. It's about many things, including flooding the United States with as many illegals as possible in order to lock in a permanent Democrat voting majority, of course, but you've got to think bigger. On our side, we're thinking too small. You have to think as big as the enemies are thinking. The reason why we have a wide open border, yes, is to flood the zone with as many potential new Democratic voters as possible, but it's also about melting away American sovereignty, melting away American values, melting away American exceptionalism. If you flood this country with, and and the report from uh, DHS and the Border Patrol from December, just a couple of weeks ago, over a quarter of a million illegals came into the country, over 70,000 known gotaways, these are the people we know got away from Border Patrol, So you add it all together, you have well over 300,000, probably closer to 400,000 illegals coming into the country in one month alone. Biden administration could stop it yesterday with the throw of a switch. All of the Trump policies go back in place, boom, you essentially have the solution. But they will not do it and they have not done it for two years. Why? Yes, it's a political calculation, but guys, think much bigger This is about something much bigger. This is about erasing borders around the world in service of that one world government. If you melt away what makes us all Americans, what makes this country exceptional by just diluting it, you know how many nations were represented in those well over a quarter of a million illegals? 110 countries were represented by those illegal immigrants just in the month of December. So you start bringing in 110 nationalities, guess what? You are melting away American exceptionalism and what makes us uniquely American, okay? They're not just bringing COVID and everything else. They're bringing their nationalities with them. They're bringing their cultures. They're bringing their economic mentalities. They're bringing their families. And the other side says diversity is our strength, right? That's our slogan. Well, that sounds great, except what the real mission of this is, is to dilute what makes America, America. Because these people, for the most part, are not assimilating. They're not taking on our values and adopting our ways of life and conducting themselves according to our rule of law. The exact opposite is happening. And that's the point. And this all gets to the World Economic Forum, these other transnational organizations. This is their objective. Okay? So they call it the fourth industrial revolution. It's based in tech and AI. AI, by the way, is one of the big themes of this week at the World Economic Forum. Fourth industrial revolution, one world government diluting all of the borders around the world, dissolving all of them. A global surveillance state controlled by them. So what the CCP in China now has in place about this massive surveillance state where you cannot move, buy, sell, uh, go about the country, um, do anything you want, even go into the public transport system without having your face and your eyeballs scanned. 
That is exactly what they want here. And that's, they're using the green agenda in order to do that. Climate lockdowns are next. Watch. Watch. These pandemic lockdowns, they were just a test run for the World Economic Forum and their players around the world. We're focused on WEF today because they are meeting in Davos and it is the central hub for the predators. But they have so many tentacles everywhere including in our White House and Congress, and and we're going to talk about BlackRock and the financial sector that's absolutely global, that they're all working together here. WEF is the, the most prominent, but the tentacles are everywhere, okay? So they want this global surveillance state with the ability to lock you down in a flash, shut down your car, stop you from flying, stop you from accessing your money, because we're moving toward a central bank digital currency here and around the world. We're going to deal with that on another show because that's really terrifying. But it's all part of this global surveillance state and one world government that they intend to be controlled by them, the new vanguard. They consider themselves the new vanguard, the new global elites They're really predators, but they consider themselves the global elites that know better than you about how to move the world through the 21st century and beyond. In fact, their slogan is, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. That's their slogan. Now, meanwhile, they're all over their past statements, their their website, etc., trying to scrub this stuff, but fortunately people have saved it and you can easily access it. By 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. This is political, economic, and cultural Marxism. All of the stuff that you're looking around in this country going, what the hell is happening here? With the drag shows for, for little kids, the, the assault on children, um, CRT, the gender um, agenda, all of this is cultural Marxism, but it's so, all of this is so much bigger than all of everything that I'm describing, okay? I'm describing like a fraction of what they're up to here. There are like 90 fronts in this war. But here's the bottom line. You will be a serf in their new world order with no freedom, no bodily autonomy, That's what the whole COVID get the needles in your arms campaign was all about. No freedom, no bodily autonomy. They'll be able to do whatever they want with you and force it. No private property, which is the basis of Western civilization, your ability to have and own property. No privacy because they'll be watching you everywhere, big brother. No national identity and no control no control over your own life. You will be a mere cog in their wheel to be dispensed with at their whim. Sound like something out of Orwell, 1984, a dystopian nightmare? Yeah, that's because it is. And their main goal is to destroy the United States as an independent nation as a bastion of economic, military, and cultural power, and as a beacon of freedom and hope. 
Because as long as we stand as that shining city on a hill, it's very difficult for them to advance. They've been advancing now for the last 30 plus years on this agenda. And certainly COVID in the last couple of years, they've really accelerated it. Pedal to the metal, baby. Use every available crisis. And if you don't have one, manufacture one. That's what the virus and the vaccines were all about, guys. It wasn't about like, oh, gosh, golly, an organic coronavirus popped out of China out of nowhere, out of some rando bat. No. This has all been by design. And as long as the United States stands as that beacon of freedom and hope, as a superpower for all of those things, that is their major obstacle. So if they can achieve destroying us, everything else in their evil plan falls into place. This is exactly why they needed Obama, Hillary, Biden in the White House. This is why they need the left controlling the levers of power from Congress to the press to big tech to big pharma and beyond. Their operatives need to be controlling everything so there are no obstacles. Donald Trump was an obstacle. A GOP Congress is an obstacle. They must be destroyed. Because for the WEF and these transnational organizations and these evil forces, their endgame is too important to stop now. This is what's on the menu at Davos this week. The global predators are assessing their progress and plotting ways to advance. The pandemic was an extraordinary lever for them. That's why they created it. It achieved more than they could ever dream of. Now, Klaus Schwab is out there publicly warning of a global cyber pandemic. Lights out. Lights out on your computer systems. Lights out on your phones. Lights out on your banking. Lights out on everything. That's what they want. They always tell you what they're up to, right? I mean, go back through history. Hitler was in jail in the 1930s writing Mein Kampf, telling you exactly what he was going to do. Our enemies always tell us. So here's Klaus Schwab out there warning about a global cyber pandemic. Pay attention. This is what they want, and this is what they are maneuvering this week at Davos. All right, when we come back, I'm going to tell you about my experience, the one time I attended Davos in January of 2020. Very interesting stuff. Sit tight, not to be missed. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double, And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, 
lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, welcome back. So the World Economic Forum is meeting this week in Davos, uh, Switzerland. One of the most interesting parts of this is who is not there this year. So Klaus Schwab, the founder of the WEF, this is his hoedown. This is his show. And yet the World Economic Forum put out a tweet, I guess it was on Monday, saying because of a health issue, he was going to miss the opening. Well, apparently Schwab missed the opening, but he did ultimately show up and he gave this crazy ass speech again about, and he used these exact words about mastering the future. Again, they always tell you what they're all about, right? They tell you their objectives. They tell you where they're coming from. Mastering the future. We must master the future. Well, here in the United States, the word master has fallen out of fashion because uh, the woke brigade attacked it for being racist. Oh, it, it evokes slavery too much. So we can't use the word master. So there's no more master bedroom. If you go look at a property now, it's the primary bedroom. Okay. So the fact to use the word master, eh, very interesting. Maybe the woke brigade has not um, gotten to Klaus Schwab yet, but that word master, this is what they intend to master the human race. There is a big transhumanism agenda attached to this, and his right-hand guy, this evil guy, Yuval Hariri, he is the one driving the bus on this. They intend, through science and through AI, and again, that's a major theme of this week's Davos meeting, through AI and tech, to change the very nature of what it means to be human, changing the genetic code, putting chips in you. And as much as I love and respect Elon Musk, he's also working on a brain chip. All of this is designed to control you, to turn you into an unthinking surf. You think this is sci-fi? They're already well down this road, guys. Well down this road. So here he is, Schwab, like Hitler before him, and again, Schwab has a long-standing Nazi background. His father was a Nazi, etc. Talking about mastering the future. What he means by that is mastering you, mastering humanity. That's what he means. And again, this whole agenda is so much bigger than what I'm just laying out, but I'm trying to hit the top lines for you here about the surveillance state, transhumanism, one-world government, um, and and destroying your individuality and destroying your sense of freedom and your actual freedom and your country's freedom. That's what all of this is about, okay? So I want to tell you about the only time that I've been to the World Economic Forum, and it probably will be 
the, the end, unless uh, I go into another Republican administration and we schlep back to Davos. But I will tell you that the, the one time I was there, this was mid-January of 2020, right before the world shut down. All right. So keep that time frame in mind because it's really important. This was like January 10th. I think we left Washington. And of course, I was serving as assistant secretary of the treasury. Every year, the treasury department leads the U.S. delegation to Davos. So no matter whom the treasury secretary is, that department leads the U.S. delegation. So we led the delegation, Secretary Mnuchin did, and we had several cabinet secretaries with us. I think Elaine Cho, Secretary Pompeo, I believe, um, our trade representative, Bob Lighthizer, and most of us were on a military jet going over there together. I think some, some people may have come on a different jet, um, but we were on a military jet. We went together. President Trump came for one day, one night, and gave an unbelievable speech. I want to get to that in a second. He did not stay for the entire four days or five days. We did um, because we were, the U.S. delegation was participating. Mnuchin spoke, et cetera, um, and gave a great speech. So we stayed basically the length of the conference. Trump comes in one day. I give him incredible credit for going into the lion's den of the globalist predators. I was there for his speech, and I must say, you know, we, <laughs> we, the U.S. delegation, we were seated um, in the front. We were in the first, like, five rows off to the right-hand side, and we were whooping and hollering and cheering and woo, every applause line. We were like, yeah, woo, right? The rest of the auditorium, the thousands of others who were there sat on their hands, dead silence. If it weren't for us screaming and whooping and hollering for Trump, you could have heard a pin drop. Why? Because he was out there with America first. This is why they hate his guts. This is why they needed to destroy him, both the deep state globally and the deep state here in the United States. Got to get rid of Donald Trump. He's not on board. He's not with the, the globalist program here. No, he wasn't. He stood up and spoke for the American people, he spoke for America's interests, and he spoke to America first. They didn't want to hear that. That's completely opposed to their agenda. And as I said in this first segment here on this show, the United States stands as their biggest obstacle to this evil agenda. And here's Donald Trump on the world stage, on their stage, saying exactly that. We will not bend to you. We will not bend to this globalist agenda. We are all about America first. You can see why they needed to destroy him and why they continue to need to destroy him, right? Two final points on this. One, Klaus Schwab really wanted Trump at the World Economic Forum. I think Trump had spoken before in 2018, um, but he really wanted him in 2020. Ask yourself why. I mean, obviously, you want the United States represented. You want the president of the United States there. Joe Biden's not there. Interesting, right? Yeah, because he's senile and broken down and probably can't make the trip. But that's a different issue. Schwab really wanted him there. Um, and I was in the White House several months before January of 2020. 
Um, Mnuchin had a meeting with the president, and I was going over there um, as well. And we were waiting on President Trump in, I believe it was the Roosevelt Room, and we're standing there, and in walks Klaus Schwab with an assistant or two. And I have to tell you guys, have you ever gotten the heebie-jeebies about somebody or around somebody? I'm telling you, it was just basically five of us standing in the Roosevelt Room. It was Secretary Mnuchin, me, um, one of the secretary's assistants, um, Klaus Schwab, and one of his assistants. So I think it was about five of us in the room. And guys, I have to tell you, I felt the evil deep in my soul. I'm not kidding here. I felt in his presence, I felt my soul go on fire. In fact, I literally backed away from him. I think I shook his hand, said hello. I was, I was polite, but I think involuntarily I took a step or two back because the evil was just coming out of every single pore. It was just incredible. The other thing that I will tell you is that we were there in January of 2020, mid-January. The Chinese knew exactly what this virus was, what it was all about, how it was behaving in the Chinese population. And yet the Chinese sent a delegation of over 350 people to Davos. And you have to understand, this is a small ski village, and all of the meetings are in small, overheated rooms. So the 350 Chinese were coughing on everybody, sneezing on everybody, shaking everybody's hands, talking up close with everybody on panels, at parties that entire week when they knew how transmissible this virus was. And that was the point, to spread the virus around the world. The CCP knew exactly what they were doing. So did WEF. They didn't care. And so after Davos, boom, I mean, this virus exploded everywhere, Italy, Western Europe, and of course, the United States. My point here is everything is of a piece, and it's all working together for this larger, very dark and nefarious agenda. Wake up, guys. There are big moving parts moving all around us, not with our best interests at heart. Okay, guys, please sit tight because when we come back, we're going to talk to Greg Kelly about his new book on the left's war on law enforcement called Justice for All, not to be missed, critically important subject. Um, But before we do, are you guys tired of your money being impacted by stupid decisions by our so-called leaders in Washington? When you finally had enough of the games government is playing with your savings and retirement, diversify into gold with Birch Gold. For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get it. In fact, you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text the word MONICA to 989 898 to claim your free info kit on gold. 
With almost 20 years' experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. So protect yourself with gold today by texting Monica to the number 989-898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is the place to go to secure your future today with gold. So start today with a free info kit. There's zero obligation to make this request. So just text Monica to 989-898. We'll be right back. Well, I want to switch gears now and welcome my good friend, Greg Kelly. Greg is, of course, a star of the airwaves. He is the host of Greg Kelly Tonight on Newsmax, which you can see every weeknight at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. He's also a host on WABC Radio in New York, and you can hear him every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. He is also the son of celebrated New York Police Department Commissioner Ray Kelly, who's also a good friend, and Greg is a a former lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps Reserve. He's also the author of the brand new book, which is absolutely fantastic. It's called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. It's available wherever you get your books, so please go get it now. He joins me now. Hi, Greg. Oh, hello, Monica. It's so good to be with you. And you know, I have been a fan since uh, years before I met you when I was in the Marine Corps and this intriguing book about my hero, Richard Nixon, and this uh, incredible woman who uh, gained his confidence. It was such an amazing read. And I think that was in 1996. And I, I've always been fascinated by Richard Nixon. And then what is this all about? It was such a tremendous book and and the others. And uh, I, I still find it just awe-inspiring that you and Nixon we're such close confidants. It's just an amazing um, uh, component to his story and yours, and I love it. Oh, thank you so much. You know, that means the world to me. Anytime I get an email or hear about this, like from anybody, whether it's a friend like you or a stranger writing in to me, just saying, you know, I, I always thought Richard Nixon was so brilliant and he was such a hero of mine. And I love your books and I love the story that you tell about him. That means so much to me because he meant so much to me and of course meant so much to the country and the world, but he was like a grandfather to me and my mentor and my friend. So hearing that, Greg, really, uh, thank you for reminding me of that. I had actually forgotten. That's actually how we met. When you and I first met, I remember you began going on about President Nixon and I was like blown away. And I think you and I have had that tight friendship ever since, right? Yeah, no, and um, that let's face it, back then, I, I, Nixon wasn't perhaps as uh, well regarded. I guess his rehabilitation had already started. Um, this is not too long after he died. And uh, there were, it was kind of a unique, a niche group, those of us who were fascinated by Richard Nixon, and understandably so. I mean, gosh, coming from where he came from and achieving so much. You know, John Kennedy apparently was so miffed on election night, 1960, that Nixon uh, didn't concede um, uh, candidly. You know, remember he said, well, if things go the way they are, you know, not looking good, we'll know more in the morning. And Kennedy was said to be so fumed that he said, uh, well, he's leaving the way he came in, no class. 
And I don't remember who said it, but if you compare Richard Nixon to John F. Kennedy, the real phrase that comes to mind is no contest. And mm-hmm. that Nixon in, in, you know, just exceeded John F. Kennedy in almost every way, especially intellectually. <laughs> yes, and including class. Um, because, you know, now knowing what we know about the Kennedy boys and the entire Kennedy family and knowing what I know and we all know about Richard Nixon, Nixon was all class all the way. And in fact, you know, on election night 1960, he was presented with concrete evidence of election fraud orchestrated by the old man Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy, to steal the election for JFK in Cook County, Illinois, West Virginia and Texas. Nixon was presented with concrete evidence of that voter fraud. And he said, you know what, I'm not going to contest this election because we're in the middle of a Cold War with the Soviet Union and the country needs a full-time president. If that's not class, I don't know what is, Greg Kelly. But anyway, we digress on Richard Nixon. I'm going to have to have you come back so we can talk about RN for like a full hour, right? (laughs) So you are actually here today to talk about your brand new book, which is amazing and so important. It's called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. And this is such an important message, especially now, Greg, and every American should be reading it. Why did you want to write this book and why now? Well, the summer of 2020 um, really, it affected a lot of us, but it affected me in a different way. I saw the wheels coming off of uh, uh, this train that's called America. I just could not get my hands around what was happening and why. Um, You know, we've had riots in this country uh, since we've had a country. We've had race riots um, uh, throughout history. They were particularly bad in the 60s, 1965, 1967, Rodney King, arguably in 1992. And the the culture, corporate, um, the corporate class, the media, academia, they may always have sympathized or maybe been rooting with one side over the other. But at the same time, everyone understood that riots were bad, that destruction of property was bad, that harming people physically was bad. And something changed in 2020. That was all glossed over or outright ignored and whitewashed. And what we saw was glorified. And it became, you cannot have a contrary opinion. And to see police officers who, in my book, are heroes, and to see the way they were treated, and then to learn of something far more sinister that was happening, that the left has been kind of gaming the system and trying to take over law enforcement. You know, academia is a bastion of liberalism. Um, So is Hollywood. So is uh, culture in general. But you could say that law enforcement is a holdout, that even though they do their jobs apolitically, most people in law enforcement lean conservative. That's pretty safe to say. And they want to change that. And they just might get away with it if we don't push back. You know, throughout your your stellar career, obviously everybody knows your stellar career in media, but you've also had this incredible career in the military and your family's long service in law enforcement. Greg, you have really had a front row seat um, to the critical importance of the role both play in keeping the American people safe. Why do you think 
we're seeing this war now. Well, I guess it goes back to the 1960s, right, with the the original countercultural movement, where we saw, you know, the, the the hippies and others calling the police pigs and and protesting and blocking roads and so on. In their protests, they were breaking laws and calling the police pigs and all sorts of names. And then it it sort of went away, and we saw restoration of respect for law enforcement through the 1980s and the Reagan years and the Bush years, etc. But now we've got we've got a newly reinvigorated leftist assault in this country. This is a Marxist revolution, whether anybody wants to identify it as so or not. We certainly do on this program. But why can you talk to us about why the left is so intent on attacking the police as part of this Marxist assault on this country? Well, Black Lives Matter uh, was popularized overnight, even though they've been around for about uh, a dozen years or so. Um, And I think it became very difficult for people in power, especially, quite frankly, white liberals, uh, to push back against such a noxious, pernicious uh, philosophy that is Black Lives Matter. It was far easier to sign up for it, to put your logo right next to it. And these forces have been around for a long time. Uh, But they were legitimized and I think empowered by Barack Obama more than anyone else. What happened was in 2011, he was suffering, Barack Obama, with um, African-American support. He was losing it dramatically. Um, And quite frankly, uh, the black community was always a little bit suspicious of Barack Obama, even though he did very well in 2008. Um, and he writes about this in his own memoir. I mean, you know, the, the black people thought, saw him as, is he really black? Is he, they didn't trust him. And he even had his own kind of struggles with this. Uh, you know, who am I? He wrote a, <laughs> five of his books about himself. This is throughout. So there was one moment where he decided, you know what? I'm going to have a conversation about race that nobody else can have because I am a black man. And he's going to actually talk about um MIA fathers, AWOL fathers in the black community. He stood up and he said that stuff. And then he was hit so hard by the left. Jesse Jackson threatened to castrate him if he kept it up. He already had his own doubts about his role and his presence in the black community. He decided to go all in on victim culture. And Black Lives Matter was a way to emotionalize the issue of race and I, I, I've been saying that we're having a ridiculous conversation about race to avoid having a serious and helpful conversation about race. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things came together. And of course, there's the latent, as you know, socialistic tendencies of Barack Obama. Now that he doesn't need our approval anymore and he can work behind the scenes, uh, he's been freed to pursue this. And I really do believe he is running uh, the country behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. So we've talked about this on this podcast as well. It's Barack and Michelle and the entire Obama machine via Susan Rice in the White House running the entire country right now. So this is Obama's third term. You've talked about that on your radio show and on your Newsmax show as well. So we're all on the same page. I I would say, and that was a really brilliant way of laying out, you know, the political motivations for why the left um, created BLM in the wake of George Floyd, burned down the country, etc. I would tease it out one step further, Greg, and say, like all communists, and like I said, this is a Marxist revolution, these are communists, um, like all communists, they need the chaos and mayhem 
in order to slam through their agenda, what Obama once called the fundamental transformation of the nation toward this Marxist kind of model. All right, Greg, please stand by. A lot more to get to with you on this very important topic. We're coming right back. But before we do, I want to take a moment to welcome back our sponsor, Mancrates. Mancrates.com makes shopping for the important guy in your life easy, whether it's for his birthday, anniversary, or any occasion. Mancrates.com has hundreds of totally unique gifts he is going to love, like the whiskey appreciation crate with personalized decanter, matching tumblers, ice sphere molds, and more. Or the Grillmaster crate featuring a brass knuckle meat tenderizer and cast iron smoker box. Mancrates.com packs his gift in unforgettable experiences, like seal crates he gets to open with a crowbar. So cool. Personalization is free, and every gift comes with a full satisfaction guarantee. Use code RADIO15 at Mancrates.com to save 15% on his perfect gift. That's RADIO15 at Mancrates.com. We're coming right back. Okay, we're back with Greg Kelly. His new book is called Justice for All. Every communist regime, as soon as they seize power, one of the very first things they do is empty all the prisons. They get the violent criminals back on the street because they need the chaos and the disorder in order to do what they want to do. And I think We saw that in 2020. We're still seeing it now with all of these Soros DAs just turning people right back out on the streets, not holding them. And and this is why you see the constant recidivism and crazy crime statistics that you're now seeing. So can you walk us through some of that? I mean, talk about the Soros-funded DAs in these places and all of the attendant bad policies like cashless bail. Criminals are not prosecuted. They're released fast and back on the streets, and it's creating the kind of mayhem that the communists want. Well, yes. And and overall, first, you know, the Black Lives Matter ideology, uh, it is radical. It is crazy. It's very much like the weather underground in the late 60s and early 1970s. This was essentially a terrorist organization, but it was treated as such. It was regarded as such. And here you have an organization like Black Lives Matter. And as you say, they are for abolishing police, not just defunding police, abolishing police, abolishing prisons. Somehow that this is a borderline mainstream organization. That is a radical shift in our culture. The district attorneys and those races, this was a a real vulnerability that George Soros is a very crafty guy. Years ago, he said, this is our way in. This is the portal through which we will rearrange society. District attorneys are, generally speaking, these are kind of sleepy uh, elections. Uh, They are not hotly contested. They don't cost a lot of money because they are strictly local. Um, and you can create a lot of mayhem with not much money, and it happened right here in in New York County, also known as Manhattan. Now, Alvin Bragg, you may know, uh, is a radical, is a uh, certainly a pro-criminal, anti-police. His policies are uh, jaw-droppingly irresponsible, but he became the district attorney, And he was elected with about 90% of the vote, (laughs) which is insane. Yeah. But you have to look at it in a different way. 
these elections were so um, obscure. And people do say that. Well, 90%, he got 90% of the vote. But in a city of 8 million people, uh, Alvin Bragg got about 115,000 votes. Granted, it was 90% of the vote. Very few people voted because it was not considered a high-stakes election. And Democrats have engineered these elections, especially in blue cities, to occur, get this, uh, primary day here in New York is on the last day of school in June. Mm -hmm. People are not programmed to vote at the end of June. That's not election day. That's not election season. That's an anti-Democrat trick to get these radicals in. And, you know, before you know it, they've actually taken over. So uh, it is, we have to start fielding better candidates. The media are totally, totally asleep. And George Soros, with not a lot of money, is rearranging society with these woke, anti-American, anti-cop district attorneys. It's really, it's it's stunning that Soros has had this kind of uh, success. Maybe not stunning because he's poured a lot of money into this, but it's not just New York where we now have this insane uh, district attorney, but so, um, so many other cities and not just big ones. I mean, Soros has really gone for mid-level cities and even smaller cities installing these kinds of folks who are just, they're just allowing hardened criminals, violent criminals to either not be prosecuted or if they are, you know, reducing their sentencing um, and getting them back on the streets as fast as possible. I noticed this week, Greg, you had the Washington, D.C. City Council reducing sentencing, reducing um, all kinds of penalties for criminals. And even the mayor in that city, Muriel Bowser, came out yesterday and said, "Uh, I'm not for this. But the city council overrode her veto. Now, thankfully, in Washington, it's kicked to Congress and they might be able to stop this. But you have this going on in cities across America. We've got city councils putting this through through legislation. Um, and then you've got these woke DAs working hand in glove. How do we counter this? How do we how do we try to, as regular citizens, counter the Soros money and influence in law enforcement? I think there are a couple of things we can do, but (laughs) the odds are stacked against us. And, you know, one thing, everybody is a little bit checked out. We're on our phones. Uh, Everything is uh, all Trump all the time. Um, And these local issues, as important as they are, often get eclipsed uh, by everything else that's going on. Uh, But one thing I do believe that conservatives, (laughs) no matter what you look like, uh, maybe even, even if you're not so conservative, but no matter what you look like, again, white, red, brown, yellow, whatever, uh, Asian, you have to be more comfortable talking about race um, than we are right now. Most people, um, again, no matter what you look like, the issue of race comes up, it shuts down 90% of the room. No one wants to talk about it. And, you know, and, and especially somebody who wants to Uh, portray that they're offended by race or you don't understand because you haven't walked in my shoes and you don't know what it's like to, you know, that that cynical phrase uh, that sounded so uh, bold and uh, interesting when it was first uttered, you know, driving while black, shopping while black. You don't know what that's like. Well, that will shut down most of the conversation. And who's left to carry on that conversation? The left, the far left, usually Uh, white liberals, oh, by the way, they are designing and creating the parameters um, 
that where this conversation can take place and it takes place on their terms. So I do believe everyone has to get more comfortable talking about race, because as I said earlier, we're having a dishonest conversation about race to avoid having an important and helpful one. Um, the other thing that I would like to see, and this may sound quaint, this may sound kind of, uh, <laughs> well, it's going to be, what are you talking about here? But, you know, we all tweet, we all text, we all, uh, and we all move on from one topic to the next. I think something really magical happens when you put a pen to paper and you write a public official. It puts them on notice. It exists in the physical world. And it's a way to get a conversation going that actually isn't happening right now. And our leaders, they respond to letters more than they do anything else, more than even a social media campaign, which evaporates overnight. Um, and the one thing that I also, it's kind of counterintuitive because it's so pro-law enforcement, the book, but we have to recognize that law enforcement works for us, not the other way around. And what I see the left doing very cleverly is co-opting those in uniform who want to be co-opted, like the Capitol Hill police, in uniform, saying crazy, radical things that the left wants to hear. And somehow that's portrayed as, well, this is the view of law enforcement. You know, there's a big cop named Harry Dunn, who's still a Capitol Hill police officer. He's in uniform. He has a gun. He's on Capitol Hill. And he's lecturing members of Congress over social media how they should behave. And he's getting away with it. Mm. This is what fascism, actually, this is what it looks like. Yes. Not there yet, but that's actually people in uniform, unelected, bossing around democratically chosen individuals. That's fascism. And it's crazy and it's happening. Yeah. I mean, this is a Marxist revolution with fascist tactics, as you just described. And law enforcement is such a critical part of this. You're exactly right. Um, can you talk to us here about the consequences of this war on law enforcement? Because it definitely is having a chilling effect on police officers the future of these departments, you know, they're, they're having big recruiting issues. Police officers are retiring because they cannot do their jobs. Can you talk to us about that? Well, the results are, are all around us. I mean, crime is up, especially here in New York City. We haven't seen this kind of increase in crime since 1979, this kind of increase in crime. You know, they like to say, well, it's still not as bad as it was in, say, 1983. I mean, that's like saying, well, infant mortality, if infant mortality exploded by 40%, we can't go around saying, well, uh, it's not as bad as it was 100 years ago. Uh, we are losing control. You already mentioned the recruitment trouble. You And police are kind of understandably, you know, it's, it's interesting. People in uniform will gladly risk their lives for their country, for their fellow man, for in the execution of their job, they'll risk their lives to save somebody's life or to do the right thing. At the same time, and this is actually a compliment, it's, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum, but they won't risk their careers. And I totally understand that. I saw it all the time in the military. They'll risk their life, but not their careers. Being a police officer is already difficult. Uh, you did risk your life every day. There was It was in the air. I remember my father going off. You know, police died in the line of duty, 1.1 a month on average in New York City. That was crazy. Um, and now we've criminalized basic police-civilian interaction. It's illegal to grab somebody. Uh, I think, I can't remember if it was above the diaphragm or below the diaphragm in New York. So they're staying in the patrol cars. 
they are not proactively and aggressively policing. Because if they do, there is a good chance they'll go to jail or at least lose their job, be arrested. There's there's too much baggage that goes with the uh, the profession now. People don't want to do it. I've seen crime anecdotally that I haven't seen since college. I've been harassed. I've been targeted. Uh, I don't wear a watch anymore. You watch your back. And this is not the kind of place we want to live. It needs to change. And it's going to take, I, I mentioned three small steps. This is beyond me. It's beyond any one person. There's got to be a cultural realignment that is beyond me, but um, it's, it's imperative. Absolutely. It is. And this is why this book is so important. And, you know, you're exactly right, Greg, when we talk about the effect on our cities, you know, which is spiking crime. And now we've got our great cities in collapse as a result of this soaring crime. That has a tremendously corrosive effect. And it's also having a demographic effect on the country and a political and economic one because Americans are fleeing to safer red states. So blue states, in fact, are collapsing further because they're losing their tax base, their ability to to run their states economically and otherwise. It's really, it's having a knock-on effect that is very damaging to the country. So um, final question for you here in our final moments. Where do you see all of this going? Is the tide turning? Are you optimistic? Um, In the short term, I'm not optimistic. In the long term, uh, I am optimistic. I mean, look, I'm a person of faith. I I do believe that uh, God is in charge. We have to do our part. We have to work hard. Uh, But he has a plan and he can make anything work out um, for the good. Uh, I don't know that plan. <laughs> Nobody does. Right. Uh, but we will do our part. And ultimately, we have to leave the rest to God. Now, that, am I really throwing up my hand? We have to do our part. So, But I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's actually going to unfold. And I, I'm, I'm candid. That's that's quite frankly, you know, beyond my uh, my expertise. And it's it's. And I do think there's a bit of, um, you know, almost mysticism as to how it's all going to play out. But we're in God's hands and uh, do our part, speak the truth. As I mentioned, we need to engage in that conversation about race. It's important. Be comfortable talking about race. Engage our public uh, officials and support men and women in uniform. But don't be intimidated by those in uniform. Uh, that that's that's dangerous. So short term, no. Long term, yes. I chalk it up to my faith. We'll see what happens, though. We got to do our part, but it's a bit of a question mark. Well, you've certainly done your part in writing this extraordinarily important book, and everybody should go get it. The book is called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. Greg Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today and for writing this this really vital book on law enforcement. There's nobody better um, who can speak to all of these issues. We have no country without the police being able to do their jobs. And for the left, that's the point. And that's why all of us have to stand up for them, as you have done in this book. So thank you so much, Greg. You're so kind and so brilliant, Monica. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thanks, Greg. 
All right. Well, wow. What an incredibly important show from the globalist predators to their domestic attack on law enforcement here at home. Again, all moving parts moving in the same direction to put your life in danger and take away your freedom. Again, it's all of a piece. So thanks so much for joining us today and for visiting our great sponsors. We also really appreciate that. We'll see you right back here on Friday with another incredibly important show. We will be joined by Dr. Peter McCullough, renowned cardiologist, on the latest on the mRNA shots not to be missed. So make sure you're listening and you tell everybody you know to listen to the Monica Crowley podcast. Have a great end to your week and I will see you right back here on Friday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.